Welcome to our Friday Five Live podcast hosted by Meg Foster. Meg has spent 20 years in higher education focused on student success initiatives and working in areas such as orientation, faculty development, online learning, student leadership, and first-year initiatives. Happy Friday, everyone. As we wrap up the semester, it's so hard to believe that we're just a few weeks away from um, the winter holiday and the end of, of the fall semester. And what a fall semester it's been, right? I mean, we're continuing to, to address pandemic learning and um, just um, the continuation of um, what we experienced last year. So delighted to have so many with you of you with us today um, as we get the chance to talk to Dr. Reginald Strobel. Um, I do want to remind folks, as Melissa um, kicked us off, that uh, we love the chat functionality in our Friday Five Live conversation. So please, if you do have questions, um, always I provide questions to guide our discussion. But um, if things come up or you want to share uh, resources or um, any questions with us, uh, don't hesitate to do so in the chat, please just make sure it's addressed to everyone so we can um, all see that. And feel free if you'd like to tell us where you're from. Uh, we always love knowing where folks are because we, we just have people join us ready from absolutely um, all over. Um, and so that's wonderful. So today's topic, um, we're really talking about, you know, there's this trend that we're seeing coming out of the last basically two years um, with an in incredible decrease um, in the number of male students overall in college. But specifically today, we want to focus on um, our, our Black male students. And um, I know at the colleges where I teach, um, there's a lot of concern that how can we make sure that we're continuing um, to recruit those students, but also to retain them um, and to support them in their success um, at our institutions. And um, I'm just so thrilled to have um, Dr. Reginald Strobel with me. And it's just wonderful to keep saying that um, title. Um, Reggie is the Assistant Director of Student Success and Achievement Programs at Anne Arundel Community College um, in beautiful um, Annapolis, Maryland. Um, and he coordinates the Black Male Initiative there. And, and this is really, I mean, Reggie, not to put words in your mouth, but I feel like not only is this the work of your heart, it's really the work of your life. I mean, you've, yes. been, you've been doing this work now, quite honestly, for, for far before your days as doctor, um, far mm -hmm. before your master's degree. I mean, it's just really, really the work of your heart. Um, Reggie received his EDD from Virginia Commonwealth University. Um, he has a master's degree from Virginia Tech, um, where you did amazing work there with supporting um, black male students. And I hope you'll talk about that today. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm also very proud of the fact that Reggie um, began his educational journey at Reynolds Community College. And um, and, and, you know, so often in our world of student, student learning, and we, we don't always know, right, what happens to our students, um, but um, it's just an incredible honor to get to be with Reggie because he is one of my former students. And, um, and so to get to see him here and um, learn from him just means absolutely more to me than I can express. So Reggie, thank you. Thank um, you so much, May. Oh my goodness. Um, so I, of course, have questions to guide our conversation, but as always, we do love it when our audience pops in with um, your questions as well. And, and I, I've just got to ask you, Reggie, I mean, I know a little bit about your story. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember you as, believe it or not, as an 18-year-old um, college freshman. Um, mm -hmm. if, if we can remember back, um, that wasn't that long ago, um, no. age too much. But would really love if you would share with us um, your own story of your educational journey, because it is such a powerful one. Perfect. Um, thank you so much, Meg. And just wanted to say good afternoon um, to everyone who has joined us today. And thank you for um, just taking some time out of your day to be with us today. Really appreciate that. And also happy Friday. So I actually graduated high school in 2006 and I graduated with a 1.9 ish GPA. Um, so every college that I applied for, I originally was denied. So I went to local community college, not really knowing exactly what I wanted to do. Um, got accepted at the J. Sargent Reynolds Community College, and that is where my educational journey began. Um, it was about my second semester in school. I saw a flyer to become a J. Sargent Reynolds student ambassador. Didn't know anything about the program. Um, but I had a professor to recommend me to the program and told me I needed to meet uh, Kemper Steele and meet uh, Meg uh, Buchanan Foster. 
went through, interviewed, and that was the spark that really um, helped me through my journey um, as an African-American male. Um, so every elementary, middle, and high school that I went to, um, kind of underserved, underrepresented areas. I'm from Eastern Henrico, Virginia, um, low poverty. Um, I really didn't have a professor or a teacher to really kind of speak life or to believe in me. Um, and it mm-hmm. wasn't until I became um, a part of the J. Sargent Reynolds Community College Ambassador Program um, where I met uh, Meg and met Kemper. Um, they spoke life into me and I really just kind of took off um, from there. Um, but still, while I was at community college, I was working at a warehouse um, because out of high school, a lot of the African-American males from where I'm from, um, they either go work at um, Philip Morris, which is a, a local kind of tobacco company. Um, they may go work at DuPont, um, who works with kind of railroad stations. Um, so the warehouse job was going to be the end goal for me. I was going to stay at J. Sargent Community College, get my associate's degree in business. And then I was going to um, work and retire from uh, that job. The recession hits and I get laid off. So I'm doing well at the community college. Still wasn't really a high achieving student as far as GPA. Had about a 2.6. So once I got laid off from my job, went to Virginia State University, same kind of thing happened. Um, I found a professor, uh, Dr. Cedric McCall, who believed in me. I got accepted on the spot. And I would say at Virginia State, that is where I really got to expand my mind as far as um, what I could actually do within higher education. And then um, student affairs would be a route for me. Um, So while at Virginia State, I was able to do some research opportunities at the University of Virginia. Um, Also at um, Virginia Tech, I did a summer research internship there. Um, They really loved me. They needed some more minorities on campus, and they were able to see some of the work that I was able to do with the African-American males, was able to go to Virginia um, Tech on a full academic scholarship, which is a first for me and also a first for um, my family. It's a little family background history. I'm the first um, male in my family to graduate with a high school diploma and also now with a college diploma, and I'm also a first-generation doctor in my family. So I was able to go to um, Virginia Tech, stay there for three years. I was able to get some professional experience and also um, able to build their blackmail initiative while at Virginia Tech. Um, graduated in 2014, um, came to Virginia Commonwealth University, and this is my doctoral um, journey. I felt in my professional career, a lot of the positions that I wanted to apply for Um, I really wanted to get more into the policy side of things. And I was understanding in my educational journey, um, you know, it's good to be, you know, coordinator. It's good to be assistant director. You're doing a lot of the on-ground work. Um, But I wanted to now advance my career where I could actually start um, being at the table for policy. Um, So in 2017, I decided to get my doctorate degree. And I also decided to do it three years straight. So I went summer, spring, fall, summer, spring, fall, summer, spring, fall. So I missed a lot of uh, birthday parties, weddings, et cetera, um, this past three years. And I was able to graduate um, when the pandemic actually started in 2020 from um, Virginia Commonwealth University. So that's a little bit about um, my educational journey. Um, And the last point I just wanted to um, make Mad. before we go to our second question, um, a lot of the, the African-American males that I do work with, for them, I am the first doctor that they have seen. So a lot of them ask me, well, what kind of doctor are you? Because they only know, you know about uh, medical doctors. So being able to work with them and also to being able to share the story with them, you know, out of high school, I did not get accepted into a major four-year university. Um, I didn't have any college prospects. I literally had to start at the community college and work my way up. So the reason I want to give back because I want to help them navigate through some of the potholes that I had to go through um, through our educational system. Um, Because a lot of the colleagues that I started with at the community college did not finish. Um, So, you know, it's something about that persistence as an African-American male, um, I would say. And And I'll speak a little bit more about that because the research shows about persistence, research also talks about having grit as well. And having those two characteristics are the things that 
really led me to get my doctorate degree. Um, if I could, you know, put a research term or research point on it, it definitely would be that persistence and having grit um, and being able to persist through um, my educational system when going through my K through 12 system, I was really never pushed to go get um, my doctorate degree or metanol, even my associate's degree. Right, right. That's so, you know, I knew some parts of that story. I mean, because I, I remember, um, you know, you had um, sports, athletics has always been, I think, an important part of, of your life. I know you're very involved with youth coaching um, for football and, and basketball or just football. I'm trying football, to remember. Yeah, football, basketball, and also um, baseball. And I have a, so I'm currently coaching now, um, coaching for a team, Lindley Lions 13U. Um, I'm coaching in the underserved, underrepresented area. We were able to win our conference championship, state championship, and also our regional championship. So actually tomorrow we're leaving for Kissimmee, Florida. So I coach 13-year-olds. This is some of my student athletes. This is their first time leaving out of the state of Virginia. Also, this is their first time flying on an airplane. So we are doing some, um, some good things. We're able to, again, uh, working with a lot of kids, even in their school system now, a lot of people are not speaking life into them. Um, so being able to kind of speak life into them and also let them know and to have an educational component uh, with my coaching as well. So to take them on college trips and uh, take them on co- local college tours so they can actually be exposed. Um, because the first time I was exposed to any college campus was when I was 18. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to reach back to the younger generation to show them that there's a bigger world out here for you. And these are the steps that you can do to get there. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I, I was just um, visiting at a, a local at Cristo Ray high school. I'm going to be doing some work with them. Um, and, and they're a, a school here in the Richmond area. There's a national organization of Cristo Ray schools, but if you're not familiar with that, um, they really target underserved. Um, populations. And one of the things they were talking about is how important it is to get their students onto a college campus. Um, mm-hmm. Every student in their program spends at least one summer doing some sort of program camp um, learning opportunity um, at a college, uh, because I think the research has shown that students who are exposed to those kinds of um, opportunities um, then see college, mm-hmm. right? as a realistic opportunity option. Um, Absolutely. For um, and so I love hearing you say that, you know, you're taking your, your, your students, these athletes and, and showing them um, these other things that exist out there. It's just, and I know that it, it seems to me that one of the powerful things you do, and I don't know how you have the time to do all of this. Reggie is also the dad of two absolutely precious small yeah, people, um, <laughs> twins. I <can't>. Yeah, <laughs> twins. If if you have like the energy source, feel free to share that with us I today. <laughs> um, but that that mentoring component, mm-hmm. right, is is just such a something I like can't even speak to the power. Of, of representation. I mean, we, I, th- I know we hear that a lot in the literature and a lot in the research, but um, I just really appreciate how you embody that and then um, and, and share that with us. Is this a good time to transition so you can tell us about the Blackmail Initiative, yes, Anna Rundle? Um, yes. And, and this, is not, this is not your first kind of working with this kind of bike, because you did this work at tech as well. Um, yeah, so so share with us. I'm, I want to know so much about this program, and I, I know there's some future visioning to it um, as well. I'd love to hear that. Too. Yeah, absolutely. So I got my start in um, just an overall kind of kind of college-wide initiative at Virginia Tech. Um, and with this program, um, I really did a lot more of the revamping of the program. So really... Um, reaching back to students and actually getting them involved into the program. Now, what I do agree with the research that it is showing that there is a lack of engagement for African-American males at colleges worldwide. So if you're at a community college, if you're at a predominantly white institution, if you're at a Hispanic serving institution, um, there is a lack of, uh, lack of engagement for our African-American males on campus. And uh, research is also showing that 
you know, depending on how a African-American male does that first semester is going to be an indicator of their success for their trajectory um, in higher ed. So one of the things um, that I was able to establish at Tech was an early initiative and program or early college invite program where I collaborated with the admissions department and we were able to um, get the demographic information for the incoming African-American males. And we would get them on campus at least a week or two before the semester even started. Because that for me, and also with the research, it gives them a different just competitive advantage where they're able to um, see what is what on campus. Um, and it also helps them develop a um, sense of belonging. So uh, one of my favorite uh, practitioners or one of the practitioners I really use for my dissertation uh, was Dr. Terrell Strayhorn. Um, he coined um, a term of sense of belonging. Um, so in that research, that is showing, uh, and this is not just for African-American males, this is for students in general. Um, when a student feels more involved or a part of campus, um, they are more likely to persist in, um, and graduate at higher rates. So if they feel a part of campus and then we can add in the student engagement piece if they're you know, involved in an SGA or if they get involved in a student club or organization, that helps increase um, retention as well. So that um, was really kind of the focus of my initiative at Virginia Tech. Also did an initiative at Virginia Commonwealth University and also James Madison University while I looked at the African-American males there. Uh, but currently at Anne Arundel Community College, um, again, this was a, another revamp um, process for the Black Male Initiative. And one of the things um, that I wanted to share today is to reach the African-American males at Anne Arundel Community College, I actually had to deviate from best practices. And here's why. What I've learned with working at um, African-American males, and I want everybody on this call to know too, one of the things that you have to do you have to see what fits and what works for your African-American males on campus. So for my students at Virginia Commonwealth University, I was able to really engage with them heavily on social media. So I had to learn how to use TikTok. I had to learn how to use Twitter and how to use Facebook. And that was the way that I was able to engage. I connected with more African-American males on social media at that particular um, institution. And Virginia Commonwealth, Virginia Commonwealth University is a research one institution. Okay. Now working at a community college, I tried the same tactic of reaching out to our African-American males via social media. I'm working with more adult learners. A lot of my adult learners were not on social media. So I was having events, which I thought were well planned out, well thought out, but I wasn't getting the participation that um, that I was just was really hoping for. So what we did, um, so me, myself and my team, we actually took, um, and I don't want to say old school, but we took an approach that is currently not best practices. The best practices will tell you you need to engage with African-American males on social media. Um, you need to engage with them at different athletic events. You need to engage with them, you know, having like a student kind of organizational student bizarre form. But I simply... Um, I built a team of five and we called every African-American male on campus. And it took us a week to do it. So it was um, time consuming, but our, um, our, participation, our participation rate increased by 63% by just calling our African-American males and being able to make that direct conversation. So not only were they getting the emails and getting the social media blasts, they were also now putting a face to the email. So they were actually having the actual connection point and it wasn't just the email. So for some institution, just sending out the email is hit. But with Anne Arundel Community College, I actually had to make that connection point um, with students. I really had to make that connection points uh, with students. So I really wanted to, um, I really wanted to highlight that. I really wanted to highlight just that connection point at Anne Arundel Community College. So that's one. So two, um, I also have a background in career services. So now with the Black Male Initiative at Anne Arundel Community College, we have added a career component and we've also added a academic component as well. Um, so for um, the individuals who are on, who, um, at, who are institutions, your academic affairs and your student affairs may be 
um, separate in a sense um, with my professional experience who haven't um, experienced in student affairs and also academic affairs. And currently I'm in academic affairs. I like to have a perfect marriage of the two. So I like to have career services component where a student now comes in and um, with my program, they have resume, uh, we do job search preps, and we also um, do career fairs specifically for um, our black males. And then we also, every black male in our program, they are set up with an academic advisor. Um, so with the academic advisor, they're going through the educational plans, student wants to transfer. And we also now have an early alert tracking system with our um, African-American males too. Um, and this is, and again, I'm just speaking on the neighborhood that I grew up in as an African-American male, um, really kind of letting our guard down or saying that we are struggling or need help has been an issue. And for every institution that I work at, I've seen that trend in African-American males as well. So I've had to put an early alert system because I would talk to African-American males in my initiative and I would ask, well, how are you doing? How's your grade? And I would get the generic response. I'm good. I'm straight or I, I don't need any help. And I'm like, no, you just failed that bio one-on-one exam and it's, you got a D, you actually do need help. So we do kind of add the academic component and we also add the tutoring component um, to our program at Anne Arundel Community College. And our major event or program that we utilize to kind of recruit is going to be our Black Male Initiative. So we have a Black Male, uh, Black Male Initiative Summit every um, year. So this is sometimes we bring in scholars from across the country, but this year we're actually going to utilize and tap into all of the African-American male staff members and faculty members that we have on campus as well. Um, so that's a little bit about the uh, Black Male Initiative at AACC. Some of the things that we're doing, and then um, last one I did want to add, I am a part of a um, Maryland Male Students of Color overall, um, it's like an overarching kind of committee where every, if you um, do a men of color or if you have just a black male initiative, we all come together at least once or twice per month. And we let each other know exactly what we are doing. And I, I, think, I think that's a model, no matter what state you're in, I think that could be effective. So even if, you know, let's just say we have someone here from Texas, even if you have to reach out to a couple of your colleagues from your, uh, your peer institutions and you all just set up your own um, once a month meeting, because you're going to see similar trends. And then you're also going to be able to identify with just other uh, initiatives that may work at your institution. So I, I, I did just want to, to put in that every institution and every black male is going to be unique and is going to be different. Mm -hmm. So I heard so many important things there. Um, one that we really need to listen to our students, right? Each, yes, there are best practices, um, but that each population at, at different institutions are gonna have different needs. Um, I think you made a really important point about so many of your students, it sounds like are adults or adult learners. Um, and that's a trend that I think we're gonna continue to see, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's the population that's gonna be enrolling in college um, more and more, we hope, um, in the coming um, years. But I, and I love this network. Now, is it specifically um, Maryland Community Colleges? Maryland Community Colleges. Okay. okay. Yeah, um, Maryland Community Colleges. So we all meet once a month. Right. And we, again, we talk about we talk about those issues. We talk about what's working, what's not working. And then we combine and do a big summit for the year. So we, we actually come together and we plan um, a summit as well. And, and it's a good way, you know, it's, it's, so for my summit, I love to have it more as a conference style. So we have multiple sessions, multiple speakers. And the reason I like to do that, because I want to prepare our African-American males, if they are to go to another conference, they know exactly what to expect. So if we're sending um, some of our African-American males to NASPA or ACPA or any, um, any professional development conference, you know, if they're in the School of Business, if the School of Business has some sort of internship fair, we want to make sure our African-American males are prepared. So we also use our summit as 
a training ground as well. Okay, these are some of the things that you're going to see at a at a business fair or internship fair. This is made. This you may want to dress this way. Uh, we go through how to tie a tie, um, how to you know have a business dinner. We go through so much to make sure that they are prepared. So once they get those opportunities, they are already ready. I'm I'm remembering our our dinner that we would do um, to make sure that we all knew how to how to behave at a business kind of meal. And uh, we used to do that in our leadership program. Um, Joyce has asked the question, are you referring mm-hmm. to the summit that has taken place at Montgomery College um, yes. prior to COVID? Mm-hmm. Prior to COVID, um, Joyce, and then while COVID um, has been going on, we still have done two summits um, as well too. So yes, that one at mm-hmm. Montgomery College. Mm-hmm. And, and I think about, I love how you said, you know, if this isn't something that your state has, I mean, you could do powerful connections regionally. I, I, I mean, I'm thinking about, I, I don't know if we have this in the Richmond area, I should know, right? But between VCU and Virginia State and Virginia Union and the community college, and I mean, that would be a very ripe opportunity to have really important conversations about how we're s- supporting um, our Black male students. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And then the last thing I know people are going to want probably curious about this. So you talked about, you know, you have a team of five. So, um, so many of us are struggling with yeah. losing staff turnover, um, mm-hmm. loss of, you know, budget, and we've had cuts. Blah, blah, blah. So who is, who is on your, so you're housed in academic affairs. I am. Like if I understood. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I love I love your talk about this perfect marriage between student affairs and academic affairs. Cause um, that's a, you know, you and I are, uh, mm-hmm, yep, yep, we're lined up right there. Mm-hmm. But, but who's on your team? Um, are they people who directly report to you? Kind of how, tell me about the structure of that. So one of the, one of the gripes that I have with black male initiatives on college campuses is I, I think we all can make an argument for more staff members or more team members. So one of the things that I had to do was um, I had to create a committee um, because out of my department, I have um, I have a two advisors who report um, for the team, but then the rest of the team is going to be um, faculty or staff members from across the campus. So, and the reason that I did that is because um, doing works for African-American males, sometimes you, it could be very siloed. You can um, oftentimes feel that you are doing the work by yourself. Mm. And once at an institution, once you're identified as the person um, to work with African-American males, you start to get that influx of students where people may say, and, I th- and they're saying all oh, the kindness of the heart, well, okay, you know, if you have an issue, you're a black male, you know, you can go see um, Dr. Strobel. But what I've had to learn just as a professional is to kind of balance that out with individuals around me um, who's also committed to the work as well. So they still can come and see me, but if they need a more in-depth kind of questions or something, I now have people that I can send them to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so, so five, so um, two that directly report to me and then three on the committee who um, work across work across campus. So one of the things that um, to kind of help with that piece, um, because we talked about mentorship earlier, um, was being able to create a mentorship component for the Black Male Initiative to include mm-hmm. faculty and to also include staff. So this way you're including um, folks who are in academic affairs, then you're also including folks who are in student affairs. And that way your messaging is getting across to two different audiences. So for my faculty members, they're able to send all information from whatever communication device that they use for students. So if they're using Canvas or if they're using Blackboards, with the connections I have with faculty members, hey, can you could you let your class know that this event is happening for mm-hmm. the Black Male Initiative? Because this, they may reach a Black male that I have never seen before. Mm-hmm. On the student affairs side, I'm connecting with the director of student engagement. Could you post this on whatever kind of tool that you use to get the message out um, to students as well? So using that mentorship program um, where I actually have a faculty or staff member who serves as the primary mentor. And then under the faculty and staff member, we have a student mentor. So a student who's a sophomore, um, 
may have been at the college for two semesters who actually want to come back and give back because uh, one of the things the research is showing too that peer-to-peer mentorship is important and that is also crucial. And so we pair our new students with a student who's kind of been through the process or knows a little bit about um, the college and then we also pair them with a faculty and staff uh, mentor as well. Because again, I just learned by doing black male initiatives you have to have some support or you have to have some team around you. So if you're in a situation where your institution may not necessarily have the funds, so let's say you're the director of a, of a black male initiative, your institution may not have the funds to hire you an assistant director, an associate director, and a co- or a coordinator. You can't really necessarily build your team out. One of the ways to increase your effectiveness is going to be able to create yourself a committee. So you have a committee with individuals across campus And then the second thing that you do, you build out a mentorship program with faculty and staff, and you're only asking them to dedicate two to three hours per month to meet with the students, kind of check in with the students. Um, And again, I have a whole structure for that, but, you know, not really asking too much for the faculty and staff Mm -hmm. as far as time commitment. That's the way you kind of increase and you gauge. So again, you look at yourself as the umbrella. You are the kind of the hub where everything kind of flows, but you have to have a team um, around you. And I think the easiest way to do it, just again, I'm just speaking from experience and from mistakes and just best practices. You have your black male um, committee with individuals on campus who are committed, and then you build out a mentorship uh, component of that committee. Okay. We're getting some great questions in the chat. Um, One of the questions is, um, do you have alumni who are involved in this effort now? And that's an interesting question because you're at a community college, right? And I, I'm listening to, you know, peer mentors are wonderful. Sometimes that's a struggle mm-hmm. in a community college because students are moving through. You don't have the four years, right, mm-hmm. that you have at, at a Virginia Tech or a Virginia State. So to, um, so, so to go back to that question, it was, um, what about alums and their involvement? That, that's a great question. So I'll speak to uh, my experience at James Madison University. Alumni were really excited to get, um, to be a part of the program. And they were excited because it was their way to give back. So again, it'd be that same mentorship model where instead of a faculty and staff member, you just replace them with alumni. So the, and that could be a situation where, um, I, don't, I don't know who asked the question, but you may be at an institution where the faculty and staff, they may say, well, I don't have enough time, or you may have an influx of black males and you don't have enough faculty and staff members to connect with them. You reach out to alumni and that's a great way for alumni um, to give back. So I, I have you, I have utilized alumni a lot. And I've also brought alumni back to actually speak to our students. I, I do that a lot as well, too, because they are individuals who have been through the process. And again, they'll be able to tell how they actually navigated and made it through. So especially for schools where I was not necessarily an alum, having an alum to come back really gave that perspective of, all right, I stayed in this residence hall or I remember taking this professor or I remember homecoming week. So it, it gives them just a different perspective from someone who's actually been at the institution. So I love to bring alumni back. Awesome. So our next question is, is this one function of your job or is this your full-time job? Which I think is a great question because it kind of speaks to some of that future, you know, visioning. That's a great. So that this is a secondary function of my job. So my primary um, function as a system director is I oversee the advisors in our department. Um, but the secondary feature of my job is the uh, Black Male Initiative. In every institution I've worked at, the Black Male Initiative has been um, the secondary function. So as I'm looking at just new trends in higher education, mm-hmm. I am starting to see directors of male student success, um, assistant deans of male student engagement. I am starting to see um, those type of positions to come about, but I'm not seeing, there, there are not a lot of directors of Black male initiative jobs in the, country, in the country currently. But I do think within the next five to 10 years that it is going to start to grow. Because again, you know, if institutions are going to fo- focus on retention, um, because I think, well, well, let me back up. I think with institutions, the first thing they, you know, they, they kind of focused was on actually kind of just attracting and getting black males to actually come to the institution. Mm-hmm. 
where the disconnect has been has been the retention piece. Mm-hmm. All right, so we have them here, but how do we actually retain the African American male? So I, I think it is. I think it's. I think it's really going to grow um, in higher education, where you are going to start to see more directors of black male initiatives mm-hmm. come about. But that has been a secondary function for all four jobs that I have been wow. Um, wow. a part of and kind of worked with. So it, it's it's been a secondary function. So again, that's why it's important to have a team around you because when you are working with that specific student population, it can sometimes, you know, I want to say overpower your full-time job, but it can, it can definitely take some time. It sounds like you have two full-time jobs to me. Yes. <laughs> just going to be real with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think about, I, I love this vision that you have that hopefully in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see primary roles because one of the things we've discussed a lot in this podcast, particularly in the last 18 months, has been if we are institutions that truly value diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy in higher education, um, to speak truthfully. And so, um, yeah, so I think that's a, a, a vision that's important for, for our future Absolutely. Um, in higher education. Um, I want to get to Shanae's question, which is, are you partnering with a TRIO program to provide further academic support and, and interventions? Um, and I don't know if Anne Arundel is a, has TRIO programs. We don't, have a, we don't have a TRIO program, but we have a TRIO model. So I work for the Student Achievement and Success Program. So we work with underrepresented students, uh, first-generation college students. Um, and we also work with students who... Um, will be, we also work with our military veteran students as well. So we mm-hmm. work with underrepresented students in, at our community college, we consider our veterans to be um, underrepresented as well. So we don't, we're not a trio program, but we do have a trio mm-hmm. model where the students who participate in our program, they receive academic tutoring. Um, they also receive a financial incentive to be a part of our program. So we have 1,300 total students who are currently in our program and if they attend uh, multiple events and then also do some academic advising, um, they get a financial incentive from either $250, um, sometimes it's up to $500 as well. Um, and then we also provide that same incentive for our Black males. So our Black males, they become a part of our initiative and then they also become a part of the Student Achievement and Success Program um, where they're able to receive textbook assistance, um, which I truly love. Um, because again, we take that um, financial, you know, for students having a financial barrier to get their books, we try to help eliminate some of those barriers to student success. So yeah, so we, we're not a TRIO program, but we do use a TRIO model. Uh-huh. And so 1,300 students, you read my mind, I was wondering how many, I mean, that's, that is a really, in my opinion, a significant number. And where, where does the funding come from for your, your incentives? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, the thing that I love about the community college is we do have the options to have private donors. So we do have donors who may donate to um, our Black Male Initiative. We were able to get some scholarships from some donors as well. So really appreciative for that. And then we actually have an institutional budget. So it comes from um, the top down, wow. which I which I truly appreciate that, you know, our president and our VPs, they do make it a priority mm-hmm. uh, for um this to be included in, in our budget. So we do have a, a budget from our institution that specifically lines out, you know, this is the amount that you are going to have for um, the students who participate in the Student Achievement and Success Program, and then I also have a separate budget for the Black Male Initiative. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, another great question that we've received, have you considered outreach program ideas for ninth through 12th grade to increase exposure um, and how this could feed then into um, the Black Male Initiative at Anne Arundel? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, so currently we have an initiative where we partner with the local high schools. And in this initiative, um, myself and my team of advisors, we go to um, the high schools at least once a month. And we actually bring in uh, representatives from financial aid. Um, and then we also bring in um, someone from Admissions, and then we also bring in our student life department where we give students presentations, but we also, because um, I've seen scenarios where 
you know, a community college may come and talk to students for 30 minutes and then that's it. We actually do a series for the students at um, the high school. So not only are we giving them the presentation with the information and knowledge, but we're actually walking them through. So for every, um, for every situation, I mean, for every school, we do the scenario based. So we'll start off. So we have one next week and we're just starting off how to apply to college. Because again, with some of the high schools that we're working with, we are working with first-generation college students. And me as a first-generation college student, my parents were very um, inspirational and they gave me a lot of good advice, but they didn't necessarily know to tell me, okay, if you're struggling with English or if you need to mm-hmm. you know, get into a class, this is who you need to actually go see. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do a series base where you know, the first is how to apply. The second is the ins and out of financial aid. The third, we talk a little bit about student engagement. And then fourth, we actually um, get those same students and we take them onto our campus and we give them a tour. So again, if they come to AACC, we're fine and we would love to have them, but we're all about exposure. So again, we still are, even if they don't attend AACC, we still have kind of walked them through and guided them through the process. Even just, you know, SAT prep, ACT prep, when to take it, how to take it where the facilities so we do do a, a series base with the local high schools where we are connecting with um, freshmen through seniors so i've been in my current role for about three and a half years so now i'm starting to see the sophomores that i worked with when i first um, started the initiative now i'm starting to see them actually trickle in to come to aacc so that has been very helpful and i think that again builds that, that builds a pipeline so, and the reason that it's important to build a pipeline, because when you are working with minority programs, so any, if you're working with a um, students of color program, men of color, African-American initiative, one of the things that you have to prove is the effectiveness of the program and why you should get funding for the program. Mm-hmm. So one of the things um, that, again, learning from the student, being on the student affairs side, really having to kind of necessarily show your work or show why the, the program is effective, you have to show that this program is now actually bringing in students into the right. institution. So that, that has been one of the strategies that I've utilized to show that this is the importance, is building that pipeline program. So that, that's, a, that's a great question. And that's one of the ways to guarantee increase your funding and also show the institution that your program is being effective. Well, and a great follow-up question to that. Several folks have asked kind of, what are you seeing as far as um, student success outcomes like retention rates, academic, you know, are, are students more academically successful? Because um, you're right, we do have to justify, right, that here's our return on our investment to use that horrible term. So, um, so a third part of my job is I oversee our summer bridge program within our office. So myself, the director of the unit um, and our team, we all collaborate and we come together. And for our summer bridge program, I'm actually the person who checks on the students every day. So again, we're looking at their retention and the students who participate in our summer bridge program, they are significantly significantly outperforming the students who don't participate mm-hmm. within the summer bridge program. And, and I talked about that earlier. So within our summer bridge program, we actually, uh, we have professors on campus who teach English, uh, who teach math. We have uh, a writing section and then we have arts. And then we also have like a career development um, section of the program as well. So mm-hmm. we have it from, um, from nine to two. Um, and we do this for three weeks in the summer. And so with this program, again, these, you know, majority of our students, um, you know, some students have to take a placement test. Um, so the placement testing where the students place at, we place them in that course for math, English, or writing. So this is giving them three weeks work of prep. And it's also giving them a time to really understand the institution as well. And for some of those students, those same professors that, that teach them in Summer Bridge, they end up taking them because they're like, all right, I already know how this professor is. I'm kind of already get the feel for this professor. So for recruitment and retainment, our Summer Bridge students, they are the students who are being recruited and retain at a very high rate. Because again, I, I truly believe even just looking at best practices, these students are getting a leg up and they're getting an advantage before school even starts for them. So 
you know, the first day of school, they already know where friend, they know where financial aid is. Right. They know where the library is. They know where all their classes are going to be. So we're taking away some of that guesswork and some of that nervousness that I'm seeing, especially for our first generation college students when it's just their first time on campus. Um, we don't want our students to feel alone. And then again, we want to develop that sense of belongingness for our students within the Summer Bridge program. So once they come onto the campus, they already feel that they are part. Mm-hmm. I want to ask one more question because I know we're, we're a little bit past time and I want to be respectful of everyone's um, time. And um, if you do have questions that we don't um, get to, feel free to please put them you know, in our chat. And I'm, I know Reggie's wonderful and I can send them to him and he'll, he'll help mm-hmm. us get, get them answered. But um, Ken had a great question. Is there a mental health and well-being aspect to your practice with the, a Blackmail initiative? And I mean, I mean, if ever... In, in time, there was a more, I think, pressing um, need to support our students. So um, in that area. So we'd love to hear about if, if that's a component, if so, how you're weaving it in. I know sometimes community colleges have greater access to mental health care or some of us don't have mm-hmm. any, as you know, in the community college system in Virginia, really. So that's, a, that's, a, that's an amazing question. So when I was at Virginia Tech, um, and, and I'm going to answer the question, too. Uh, but just wanted to kind of give context. When I was at Virginia Tech, um, this is um, when the Mike Brown um, murder happened. And I mm-hmm. remember having a, um, a conversation. Um, we had an event for our students just, just processing grief. And we actually had um, trained counselors at that event. So what I've learned from that uh, process was I wasn't the person that was able to help students grieve mm-hmm. in that moment. I was the person to be able to facilitate and to lead the conversation, but I was not necessarily the person who was equipped and trained to actually help them process and grieve through that moment. And even me, um, as someone who's running the Blackmail Initiative, I needed a space mm-hmm. to process and I needed a, a space to grieve. So for every event um, that we have in particular, so we have um, events um, called Real Talk. And this is a space where African-American males can talk about particular current issues that are going on, or just issues that they may just be facing um, as, young, as, young, as young males. And one of the, the, the components of that program is we also, we have a trained um, counselor in those programs, just in case, again, as we're facilitating through a conversation, if something triggers someone, we allow them space um, to, to go out. Secondly, um, when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, the first thing that we ask students during our program is, what is your preferred pronouns? That is huge because a student may um, project as male. Um, a student may, you know, and, and that's one of the things I challenge the guys on too, even though we are a Black male initiative, we have to define what maleness looks like and also what maleness looks like for you may look differently for another student. So we have to be very um, careful. So I even tell speakers, you know, ask students what's their preferred pronoun or their preferred name. So one of the things that I do um, in that space, I would just, you know, I always, I may say, you know, my name is Reggie Strobel, preferred pronouns are he, him, his. Or my go-to is my uh, name is Reggie Strobel. You can call me by my preferred name, which is Reggie. Um, so just making sure, again, we're being inclusive um, in our space, too, because I've had um, students who uh, project this male, but they may identify uh, with the LGBTQIA community. Mm-hmm. So have a space for those, for every student um, to come and be a part. So not only do we talk about we, we talk about issues that may affect um Males who are heterosexual, we talk about students who, uh, who may be um, queer. I mean, we talk just do different um, intersectionalities of identities. Um, and I think that's another important component of our, of our program is the intersectionality piece. Because you have multiple identities that intersect, so you can't just put a Black male just into one box. Right. Right. Reggie, we're unfortunately at time. We could talk oh, wow. for hours. Um, and, and I I do, 
do, I do want to say um, it's captured our chat. So we've got a few questions that we'll make sure okay. that, you know, we, we get addressed and, um, and, and get out to everyone. Um, okay. If you're a GoToKnowledge member, you'll have access to the recording. Um, and if you're not, don't worry, we'll send you the recording so you can listen to it again, share it with friends. And as a reminder, everyone can subscribe to the Friday Five Live podcast um, and listen in. I think it pairs nicely with it with um, a warm beverage and um, a walk, yeah. um, if that's your your kind of thing. Reggie, I just really want to thank you so much. I um, I really appreciate the opportunity to reach out to you and to say, please share with me your knowledge. I mean. I, I know that, you know, as a white woman, that's a place of privilege for me to come to you and say, hey, can you teach me about this? But mm -hmm. I, you you just have so much um, that you give. And I am so grateful um, for your time, for the way that you mentor um, me and um, all the, the people in your your sphere. We're all very, very, very blessed, Reggie. Um, yes, thank you, thank you so much, Meg. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks to everybody for listening and the great questions. I truly enjoyed the discussion. Yeah. Well, happy um, wrap up of 2021. Reggie, yes. to you and to your family and to everyone yes. listening in. Um, we have almost made it to the end of the fall semester. We're looking forward to a new season um, in January for Friday Five Live and continuing these kinds of conversations. And Reggie, I'd, I'd love to have you back. We didn't get through it all. Yes, um, I would love to come back. Needs, we need some more time. So um, thank you. Please, everyone, be well. Um, take care. Um, I hope everyone has time for rest and renewal. Um, Angelica said, please bring Reggie back. I will Done. come back, Angelica. Check. I will definitely come back. I, I, I can't wait. So okay. um, thank you, everybody. Please take care. And please do fill out our survey afterwards. That helps us inform our con future conversations as well. All right. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Oh, yeah. Friday Five Live is brought to you by Innovative Educators. Innovative Educators offers six online services for your onboarding support and training needs. Visit us at innovativeeducators.org to see how we can support your student success initiatives.